Man, it's good to be back two weeks in a row. Starting to feel like I belong here with you people. I uh, spent the night in my house in Anderson, South Carolina last night. Woke up super early this morning and was driving up I-26, just spending some time praying. And it occurred to me when I left my house this morning at 7 a.m., it was 112 degrees and 6,000% humidity. I pull into Asheville and it is 70 degrees and now I know why they are widening I-26 because everybody wants to live here. Man, it's so good to be back. My name is Clayton King. If I've never met you before, I was here last Sunday. We saw over 60 people give their lives to Jesus last week at Biltmore Church. Amazing. Matter of fact, after the first service, I was in the lobby here at this campus And a woman walked up to me and said, hey, I'm one of the people that gave my life to Jesus last week. My kids gave their life to Jesus. And I just wanted to introduce myself. And I said, yep, did you follow through? Did you text follow to 28282? She said, I sure did. And we're all signed up for baptism. Those are the kind of stories that we celebrate and that we rejoice over. Hey, well, two things I want to do. uh, Actually, right off the bat, before I open up the text and preach to you uh, today from John 3, Eight days from today, eight days, that's a week from tomorrow, is Biltmore Camp. Hey! If you don't know what I'm talking about, this is the annual summer camp that your middle school students and your high school students get to participate in. And our nonprofit ministry called Crossroads has been partnering with Biltmore now for about the last, I guess, six or seven years. So just about an hour from here, at Gardner-Webb University, which is where I graduated in the 1900s back in 1995. We're going to be having camp. It's going to start next week. I'm going to be one of the camp pastors. Jason Gaston, who is a staff member here, will also be there. And today, as soon as our services are over at every lobby of every campus, I'm going to ask you to go out and sign up for camp if your students are in middle school or high school. Now, I want to talk to the moms and the dads for a minute as a father of two teenagers myself. I know that summer is coming to a close in about a month, and I know that you're already thinking about going back to school, and you're probably thinking if you're a parent, well, I don't know, we might take one last trip to the lake or one last trip to the beach, and maybe you've got football practice or you've got to go work out for a sport you're playing. I want to be very, very honest with you as a dad. I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give an account for how I raised my kids and the decisions I helped my kids make. And I want to stand before God and say to God that I prioritize my children's spiritual development over everything else. This week of camp is important. So mom, dad, I want to encourage you. Whatever else you might be holding out for or waiting on something else better that might pop up, there's nothing more important and nothing better is going to happen to your kid than having five days with their friends in an environment where they're going to hear the word of God proclaimed, maybe even give their life to Jesus, maybe surrender to ministry, and where they're going to be developed as a disciple for Jesus Christ. So maybe this is, you know, a word from God from my heart to yours, but parents, I want to encourage you, prioritize camp over everything else. It's five days. It's only an hour away. Your student's eternity is going to be impacted and you won't regret it. So I hope that you'll go to the lobby as soon as this service is over and sign up for camp. Hey, we're going to be in John chapter 3 today, so go ahead and join me there. 
John chapter 3, and I am going to be preaching a very well-known passage of Scripture today. It's the story of Jesus meeting a guy by the name of Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in the darkness of night to ask Jesus some questions. The title of this message is simply one word, reborn. Jesus introduces a concept here of being reborn. And it may feel like a new concept to us because we're Westerners, meaning we live in America. But to our friends who are from the east, at least the eastern part of our planet, they are familiar with concepts of being born again. I've been to India seven times, and I have many Hindu friends. As a matter of fact, yesterday, I paid for my gas. I have a motorcycle. I went out and rode my bike for a couple of hours to just decompress. I had a stressful week, and uh, the guy at the gas station that took my money was from India, and we began to talk to each other. I invited him to come to my church, and I told him I've been to India. He said, I'm a Hindu. I'm like, we love Hindus at my church. We love everybody at my church. Come on. Well, because he's a Hindu, he believes in a cycle of rebirth. It's called reincarnation. And in that particular worldview, you believe that you are reincarnated after you die, and you come back as a higher life form if you did good things, or you come back in a lower life form if you did bad things. So the concept of being born again, even though it may sound new to us, it's not new to other religions. But what Jesus does is Jesus brings this concept, this idea, this truth of a spiritual rebirth, and he puts it right out in front of a man named Nicodemus who had some curiosity and some questions that drove him to go see Jesus. Now, our world tells us that there is a certain way to think about our existence. And our world says we should think about our existence this way in this sequence. Birth, life, death. That's what the world says. But God says it's actually different. God says you should think about, and I should think about our existence like this. Death, birth, and life. Leave that up on the screens for a minute. Our world teaches, our culture teaches, you are born, that's your birth. And then you live. In America, I think the uh, average age now is 78, life expectancy. You live for an average of 78 years. That's your life. And then you die and it's over. That's what most Americans either consciously or subconsciously believe. But that is not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus believed. That's not the way God intended us to exist. God says it's actually this way. Death, meaning we are born not saints. We are born sinners and we are born under a curse of death. Now, if you don't believe you were born a sinner, ask your spouse. And if you still don't believe, if you're not married, get married, have a kid. Just give birth to a baby. We did not have to teach our children to sin. They came out of the womb sinning, screaming, crying, I want this. The first word my son said was, Daddy, Daddy. The second word my son said was, No. The third word my son said was, Mine. And we're probably all to some extent that way. We're born under a curse of death. Then we hear the gospel. 
We realize that Jesus loves us. We realize that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago to take the burden, the penalty of our sin off of us right now. And we give our life to Jesus. We ask him to save us. And that is called rebirth. And when that moment happens, you really begin to live and you get to experience what John 10.10 says is an abundant life, a life filled with blessing and joy and meaning and purpose, brothers and sisters, a life that's filled with all the things that you tried to accomplish on your own before you surrendered to God. So God's way of looking at existence is death, rebirth, eternal life. Oh, and by the way, I do believe in a literal heaven. I do believe in a literal hell. I do believe in eternity because Jesus believed in it. And listen, don't fool yourself into thinking. At every campus, listen, watching online, I want you to hear this. Don't fool yourself into thinking that eternity begins when you die. Eternity is happening now. Eternity is already taking place. This body that I live in now and the one that you currently inhabit will be raised up at the resurrection. And that body, a resurrected body, will live forever somewhere, heaven or hell, based on whether or not you were born again by the grace of God. So we're all going to live forever somewhere. It's just a question of where. Now I want to take you to the scripture because Jesus actually taught on this very clearly in John chapter 3. Let me tell you who the main character of this story is next to Jesus. It's a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not only a Jew, he is a leader, a ruler, an expert in the law. He is not just a Pharisee, he's like a Pharisee boss. Your your teenagers would call him an OG. If you don't know what OG means, it means original gangsta, not gangster, gangsta. You have to say it that way. He is the OG religious wingnut among all of the influential, powerful religious leaders in Jerusalem. And I want you to see this. He comes to visit Jesus at night in the darkness. This is one of John's themes. The big theme of John's gospel is the word believe. It's what John wants from us. He wants us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He wants us to believe that Jesus performed miracles. He wants us to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He wants us to put all of our faith in Jesus, slide all of our chips across the table, and say, I'm all in on Jesus. That's what John's theme is. One of the the symbolisms that he uses over and over again is darkness and light. People are walking in darkness, and Jesus comes and brings light into a dark world. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night with some questions. This is where we pick up our story. Scriptures will be on the screens. Look along in your copy if you like. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. So let, let, me, let, me, let me repeat that. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be reborn. If you want to get to heaven, you have to be reborn. If you want to understand the spiritual things in the Bible, you have to be reborn. My wife and I, let's leave that scripture up there. A couple of weeks ago, right before our summer camp season started, we came to Asheville just for the night, just to get away before our summer got crazy. And we're walking downtown to go eat at one of our favorite places, and just we wanted to go eat some good food and get some good entertainment just by watching the people on Patton Avenue. <laughs> so, okay, you understand. So we're hanging out, and this guy walking towards us is wearing a T-shirt. Kid you not, T-shirt said, Born fine the first time. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you and I were born okay the first time, then Jesus was lying when he said you have to be reborn. If Jesus says it, I believe it. I put all my chips in on him. All my eggs in one basket called Jesus. So when Jesus says you got to be reborn, we should pay attention. Now, Nicodemus didn't understand this, so he asked in verse 4, how can someone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When Jesus talks about being born of water, he's talking about natural childbirth. I have witnessed three of those. One of those uh, were twins I helped deliver in the Himalayas uh, in a village in 1998, and the other two were my own two offspring. And when people tell you that childbirth is beautiful, they're crazy. It is not beautiful. It is scary and weird and amazing, and I'm so glad I'm not a woman. Thank you, women, for keeping the human race a thing, because we couldn't do it. Nicodemus is asking this question, how in the world can I enter in and be born again? Jesus says in verse 5, I tell you, unless someone is born of water, the natural birth, and the spirit, a rebirth, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. He said it twice, two times, must have been important. He repeated himself. Verse 8, the wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or, or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And then Nicodemus asked a real simple question. How can these things be? Now, this was a very common question that rabbis would ask one another when they are arguing back and forth about theology. When I went to seminary, we argued back and forth about theology. It's what people do when they study the scriptures. And when he asks Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus responds in verse 10. Um, Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak of what we know <clears throat> and we testify to what we have seen, but you, you do not accept our testimony. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Nicodemus is the OG, the boss of the Pharisees. Why is he at Jesus' house? Keep that scripture up there for a second. Why is he there? Because his job description as the ruler of the Pharisees was to investigate claims 
made by people when a would-be Messiah showed up and began to perform miracles. He was basically a miracle inspector. But he goes to Jesus at night in the darkness, not so that he can find out who Jesus is with the miracles only. He's got questions about whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. And he went at night because he didn't want his friends to see him. He didn't want his friends to think, what, are you going to become his disciple? You can't. You're a Pharisee. We don't believe this man. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus with his questions, and Jesus says, I I can't believe that you don't accept our testimony. Verse 12, if I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of God. Of man. And then Jesus references an Old Testament story from the book of Exodus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus is prophetically speaking about his crucifixion. Lifted up on a cross, crucified, a Roman form of execution for the sins of all humanity. So unless the Son of Man is lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That's the theme of John. If you believe in Jesus, you'll have eternal life. Now look at the next verse, John 3.16. A lot of us have read John 3.16, but we don't know the context. We don't realize who Jesus is talking to when he says these famous words. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son... So that everyone who believes, there's the word again, in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is already condemned Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So before I work through a few points here, let me say this. I just feel prompted by the Holy Spirit. One thing I love about being able to come and preach for Pastor Bruce and and serve at Biltmore, I just feel like I can just kind of scrap my notes. I'm going to scrap my notes for a second because I feel like I should. There are people right here right now in this room and at your campus, when you think about God, you automatically see an angry, upset, ticked off, impatient deity in heaven that's been keeping a record of every bad thing you've done and every bad thought you've had. And if that's how you see God, it's going to frame your entire life in a negative light. And I want to speak with the tenderness of the, of the scriptures and tell you, if anybody knows who God is, it's Jesus because Jesus was God. And when Jesus says in John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I don't want to read past that and skip over that. I want to stop on that. I want to park on that. I want to talk about that for a minute. Because some of us need to be reminded, and some of us for the first time, need to have the Holy Spirit illuminate our eyes and open up our hearts and let it dawn on you and occur to you, wow, you mean God is not mad at me? That's exactly what Jesus means. God is not mad at you. He loves you. 
He loves your, your prodigal child. He loves your wayward daughter. He loves the meth addict that you pass on the side of the road. He loves the gay person that's struggling with their sexuality. He loves the straight married person who's sleeping around and having an affair and you've hidden it from your spouse. He loves us all. Every one of us a sinner. None of us a saint without his grace. He did not send Jesus to show you how angry God is and what he can do with his wrath. He sent Jesus to show you how beautiful God is and what lengths he will go to to save you and make you a new person. Yesterday, I'm going off script. I may not even come back to this, I don't, to my notes. Yeah, okay, thank you, I will, because this is the second service. I can go as long as I want to. Ain't nobody coming in here after we're gone. Don't clap, you're encouraging me. Yesterday, I'm at the YMCA in Anderson. I work out there, and it's, it's the place where I witness to most of the lost people because I don't know a lot of lost people. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. All my friends are Christians. I have to go looking for, for lost people. You don't have to look very far. They're everywhere. And um, we have a sauna at the YMCA. We have a dry sauna and a wet sauna, and the dry sauna gets up to 200 degrees. And there's guys in there all the time. And, and guys get, I don't know if it's the heat, but it just loosens guys up. They get real honest in the sauna. And that's where I spend a lot of time talking about eternity and, you know, where you're going to go when you die. And it really works. So I worked out. I did an hour on the bike. I did some weights. I'm feeling pretty good. I go to the sauna. I want to go jump in the pool to cool off. It's an indoor pool. I swim a couple of laps. I get out of the pool. And this guy been staring at me in the pool. He's a big guy. And I thought, he, he could probably take me in a fight. And I'm like, I hope he's nice. And, and I get out, and he goes, hey, preacher. I'm like, yeah? He goes, you went to Gardner-Webb, didn't you? I said, yeah? He goes, me too. Well, we went to college together. While we're talking, this much smaller guy gets out of the pool, walks up, and just stands there with his arms folded. Now, this was awkward, because all of us had our shirts off. <laughs> and... I knew he was waiting to talk to me, and I figured he went to my church, and I just kind of assumed it. It's what I call the New Spring look. People that know me, but I don't know them, and they give me the look, and I'm an extreme extrovert, so I'm like chitty-chatty with everybody and talking to everybody. So I said, hey, how's it going? He goes, you preaching tomorrow? I'm like, I am, but I'm preaching at Biltmore. He goes, oh, okay, well, who's preaching at, at, at New Spring? I'm like, Brad's preaching tomorrow. He goes, good, I'm bringing a friend. Pray for him, because he just got back from active duty military. And his job in the military, he had to do some really hard things. And when he came back, you know, several months ago, he started going to this little church. And he said the first Sunday there, the preacher pulled him aside and said, I want to tell you something. You're going to bust hell wide open if you don't repent and get right with God and start living right. And he said, my friend who has got some PTSD from, from war and combat, it gutted him. And he said he is never coming back to church again. But I got him to come to our church. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He said he, he'd go to a church where a preacher preaches in jeans and a t-shirt. And I'm like, I'll wear Bermuda shorts and flip-flops if that's what it takes. <laughs> now, I draw the line. I'm keeping my shirt on. I'm telling him this as I have my shirt off. I'm, tell, I'm telling him I'm keeping my shirt on. And it just occurred to me, even as I'm preparing to preach this message today, so many people just don't know this. That God's whole intention behind, behind sending his son Jesus was to show us what God, oh my goodness, what God is like. 
God is so abounding in love, so filled with compassion, so long-suffering, so kind. And Nicodemus was all about the rules. Nicodemus was all about the ritual. Nicodemus is all about the right clothes and the garb and, and, and wearing the scriptures on his head and hanging on his neck. And he's all about accolades and titles. And Jesus is like, hey, buddy, I know you've done a lot of good things in your life. Guess what? None of it matters. You've got to be reborn. What? What do you mean I've got to be reborn? There's, hold up. I told you. I'm, y'all that are running PowerPoint, just roll with me, okay? Just roll with me because I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I don't know who this is for. You know there were six different ways that Jewish men were reborn in Judaism? I didn't know this. As I'm writing the book, I studied it, and I found out there are six different ways. Some of these applied to Nicodemus. I, I love Jesus so much for so many reasons. Look at this. Um, there were six ways. Here's way number one through six. You could be reborn when a Gentile converted to Judaism. So there was already a concept of somebody that wasn't a Jew that became a Jew. They called that being born again. The second way, when a husband and a wife got married and became one flesh, that's being born again. Some of y'all are like, Amen. In a good way. Number three, when an ordained rabbi finished his formal education, that was a born-again experience. Number four, when a man was crowned the king of Israel, they called that a rebirth. Number five, at the bar mitzvah when a Jewish boy became a man at age 13, that was a born-again or reborn experience. And number six, when a rabbi became so respected and honored that he became the head of his own rabbinical school. Nicodemus had experienced multiple rebirths. If he was married, he was reborn. When he became a rabbi, he's reborn. He obviously went through his bar mitzvah at age 13, he was reborn. He probably had his own rabbinical school. That's why John identified him as a ruler of the Jews. So at least four out of the six ways to be reborn, Nicodemus is like, I'm good, yo. He probably had a shirt on that said, born fine the first time. But Jesus is no respecter of persons. Jesus doesn't care how much money you got or how broke you are. Jesus could care less how big your company is that you built from the ground up or if you just lost your job. He loves you regardless. Doesn't care if you got billions of dollars in the bank. Doesn't care if your name is Elon Musk or Bill Gates or Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Madonna or George Washington or George W. Bush. You know what Jesus said? You must be born again. You're not going to get into my kingdom off your good works because you can't be good enough. Not going to get into my kingdom because you studied, you think you're smart, but you're not God. God made the world. Beat that. And it's not, it's not arrogant of Jesus to say you must be born again any more than it would be arrogant of me to go to the doctor and the doctors say, you have a deadly disease and it's poisoning you and it's going to kill you and there's only one cure and if you take this one cure, you'll live. If you don't take this cure, you'll die. How foolish of me would it be to walk away and go, that doctor is so arrogant, he thinks he knows it all. I'm not taking the medicine that's not arrogant of the doctor. It's kind and loving for the doctor to say, here is the antidote to your sickness. Take it and live. That's what Jesus says to 
Nicodemus. Here's the antidote for your problem. You need to be reborn. And you know how you can do it? Believe in me. Believe I'm the Messiah. The Spirit of God has drawn you to me. In the darkness, the Spirit of God has drawn you to me. And the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, Nicodemus. Now, if you'll just believe, you'll be born again. I know you think you've already been born again, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm going to work through this really quickly. Point number one, a person, not a position, brings you peace. Somebody needs to hear that. It's the person of Jesus that can bring you peace, not a position, not the money you make, not the accolades, not the accomplishments. We need Jesus. It's a person. And Nicodemus was drawn to Jesus. That's why he went to his house. Nicodemus risked his reputation. He risked his career to go see Jesus because he was looking for something that all of his accomplishments had not yet given him. You're surrounded by people like that every day. Maybe that's you. I remember Tom Brady. If you're not a football fan, Tom Brady is, he's won seven Super Bowls. Not even an argument. He's the greatest quarterback that's ever played. And I think it was after his fourth Super Bowl win, they asked Tom Brady if he was happy. And he said, no, not really, because what can you do after you've achieved everything and you've won it all? He is literally married to a Victoria's Secret supermodel. Has more money than all of us probably will make in a lifetime combined. And after his fourth Super Bowl win, when they were already saying he's the greatest of all time, they asked him if he was happy. And he said, I don't even really know if I can define happiness. It's because Tom Brady needs Jesus just like Clayton King needs Jesus. Point number two I want to show you from this scripture. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he comes in the middle of the night. You know what that means? You can come to Jesus in your darkness. You don't have to have it all figured out. You can come to Jesus with all of your confusion Because, listen, your questions do not disqualify you from God's love. Your confusion does not mean that Jesus has stopped loving you. The questions that you have about your faith and about life and about God, they don't push God away. They actually draw God closer. Jesus didn't rebuke Nicodemus. How dare you have a question? He actually challenged him at the point of his pride. Nicodemus thought he knew God, but what Jesus wanted him to understand is you've got to move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. You've got to go from knowing facts about God to knowing God personally. I know facts about Shari King. I know facts about her. She's a lovely painter. She's a halfway decent bowler. We went bowling last night and she slaughtered me. I I know things about my wife. She's gluten-free. If she eats gluten, she gets sick. I know facts about my wife. But you know what? I also know my wife. I slept in a bed with her last night. I share a bathroom with my wife. She's my best friend. I love all y'all, but if I got to pick between going to, you know, Italy with Pastor Bruce or Shari, I'm picking Shari. I love Pastor Bruce, and maybe we can go to Italy and hang out, and they stay in one room and we stay in another room. But I love Shari. I want to go with Shari. I want to be with Shari. She's my favorite person. And that's what Jesus was trying to get Nicodemus to understand. You can know facts about God in your head, but to believe means that you know him intimately in your heart. So bring God your questions. Bring him your confusion. You can come to Jesus in your darkness, and his light will push the darkness away. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, but he doesn't stay there very long, as we're going to see in just a minute. So how does this happen? How are you born again? How how are you reborn? One word, believe. You are really born again when you truly believe, like when you actually believe it, when you actually say in your own heart, okay, these aren't just facts. I actually believe a man named Jesus was raised from the dead after he was murdered on a cross, and he did it for me, and I believe that. I really believe it. 
That's how being reborn happens. You can't be born again if you don't believe. But when you do believe, the Spirit of God changes you from the inside out. You can't pay your way into it. There's no amount of money that buys you a ticket into this. You can't play your way into it. I don't care how much of a baller you are. I don't care how much you've learned how to play the corporate game or the business game or the religious game. You can't play your way into it. You can't work your way into it. We can't work off the debt of our sin. It can only be forgiven by Jesus. And there's only one way to get into this. You believe your way in. You trust your way in. You put faith in it. Nicodemus had some doubts. But he brought those doubts to Jesus. People have asked me this a lot. 35 years in ministry. Clayton, are you 100% sure that everything you believe is true? Okay, I'm about, to get, I'm about to get very honest with you, Biltmore. So listen. I answer them honestly. No, I'm not 100% sure. On my best day, I might be up, up around 87%. On my best day, on my worst days, I might be down around 40. Am I absolutely sure that all of this is true? No. I have faith. I don't have all the proof. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not through proof. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews says. So yes, I know that there are historical records, and I've read them, and there are archaeological proofs that Jesus is who he said he is, and I believe all of that. And we have proven that the Bible is trustworthy. I believe all of that. But there is an element of faith that saves us when we believe, even though I don't understand it all, Jesus, even though today I might be at 62%, I still have faith in you. And I'm putting all, I'm, this, if this is a poker table and it's a poker game, I'm sliding all my chips across the table and I'm saying, I'm all in on Jesus. That is what it means to believe. And when you do that, boom, you're born again, reborn, brand new heart, brand new future, brand new start, brand new person, brand new king, brand new Lord, brand new savior, brand new eternity. Holy cow, don't we need some of that? Don't you need some of that? Do you know somebody that needs that? This is the best thing going in the world. This is better than black coffee. This is better than barbecue pork. This is better than an F-250. This is better than a Clemson National Championship or a Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl. Ain't ever happening again. In Jesus' name, I wish it would. This is the best thing in the world. So, I want to make one final point, number four. At the end of all of this that I'm talking to you about, don't settle for I don't know. Because there's a lie. There's a lie that we believe. I'm already alive. I just need a better life. I'm already alive. I don't know about everything you're talking about. That's eh, religious stuff. Huh? I'm not really a religious person. I, I'm already okay. I, I'm already alive. I just need a better life. More money, better retirement, bigger IRA, bigger, bigger Roth, bigger 401k, better kids, good grandkids, place on the lake, place on the beach, place in the mountains, whatever. A boat, golf course membership. I'm not against any of that stuff. But that's not the stuff that brings you life. Let me tell you the truth. That's the lie, but the truth is very different. The truth is, you're already dead, and you need a resurrection. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. You're already dead. I'm dead in my sin until I meet Jesus. If you've met Jesus, you're alive. If you've never met Jesus, you're living 
but you're not living the abundant life that Jesus promised in this life and the next. And that's why, that's why I don't want you to settle for I don't know. Don't settle for it. Don't leave Biltmore Church today. Don't log off of watching this message. Don't leave your campus today with, I don't know. I don't know. I might be going to heaven or hell when I die. I don't know. I was confirmed at the Catholic Church as a kid. I was an altar boy. I don't know. I went to Christian school. They kind of forced me. I don't know. It's up to God, right? No, it's up to you. God already gave you his life in Jesus. He paid the price. He did the work. Now it's up to you. Don't settle for I don't know. 1 John 5.13 tells you that you can know. The same John that wrote the story about Nicodemus wrote 1 John 5.13. Here it is on the screens. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. How can you know? Have you believed? And the best way to know if you have ever believed is to answer this question. Do you believe today? Do you believe right now? Are you living like you believe that Jesus is Lord right now? Don't settle for I don't know. You can know. Oh, and by the way, before I say amen and we pray, let me tell you, Nicodemus, the one that just came to Jesus at night, we get to see him again. Two more times he's mentioned in the Gospel of John. Two more times. I'm going to read this to you from the book so I don't miss it. Nicodemus comes up two more times. First, when the Sanhedrin is calling for Jesus to be arrested, Nicodemus tells them they need to first hear Jesus out before condemning him. He wanted them to hear Jesus the same way he had heard Jesus. Nicodemus now openly defends Jesus. The last time we see Nicodemus is just after Jesus' crucifixion. When Nicodemus purchases expensive burial spices and helps one of Jesus' followers named Joseph of Arimathea prepare his body for burial. What a bold contrast to the man who slipped out to meet Jesus in the middle of the night, scared of being seen. Now, he's helping wrap Jesus' body for the tomb, and he is blatantly, openly, boldly identifying himself in broad daylight as one of Jesus' followers. He's a different Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus afraid, with questions, in the dark. And at the end of Jesus' life, Nicodemus is boldly, in broad daylight, identifying himself as one of Jesus' followers. He had been reborn. And I'm telling you today, it's what you're looking for. 